Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 47. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, we have a fascinating guest. He runs a company that has really made a name for themselves in the invoice finance space. Jed Simon is the CEO and founder of FastPay. Now, as I said, FastPay are focused on invoice finance, but they've really targeted one specific niche, and that is digital media publishing. And they've been incredibly successful at focusing on that niche. And you're going to learn a lot about this industry. I certainly learned learned a great deal. I didn't know much about it, to be honest, before the show. But Jed's company has really carved out a niche that is, you know, very compelling for both borrowers and investors alike. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Jed. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate you inviting me. Okay, so let's get started with just giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself and and what you did before you started FastPay. Absolutely. So I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm from here, grew up right near UCLA, went to Brown University, um, undergrad, studied philosophy, and joined, as a lot of people do or did back back then, worked at Morgan Stanley in the investment banking media group in the analyst program for a couple of years. And from there, wanted to get into the music business. So at the time, DreamWorks was starting, and I had been sort of a follower and an acolyte of David Geffen. And knowing that he was starting a record company just seemed too cool. So <laughs> basically figured out a way and spent a lot of time. It's a story for another time, but ended up getting a job, you know, as an early employee at DreamWorks. It was there for almost 10 years. So I was at wow. entertainment for, for quite a long time. Okay. So then did you leave DreamWorks to go start FastPay or what was the transition like? Yeah. So what happened was, I, I worked in the, in the uh, strategic planning group for a year or two under a guy named Ron Nelson, who was the COO of, of DreamWorks at the time. Now he, he's the CEO of Avis and did that. Then I ended up getting assigned to the record company, worked for this guy named Mo Austin, who's in charge of it, who's sort of an industry legend, one of the founders of Warner Brothers Records. Actually, he was the founder of Warner Brothers Records, worked for Frank Sinatra. He was just awesome. But the challenge was the record business wasn't doing very well as an industry sort of recorded music uh, had sort of hit its pinnacle in the, in the mid nineties for a variety of reasons. And he just Geffen decided to sell the company. So I was involved with that. That was actually a lot of fun. So we sold the company to, to universal Interscope and I didn't want to go to Interscope. So I actually switched to the film company and worked in the UK didn't really, you know, I was basically in charge of international marketing and distribution for DreamWorks Films, which at the time was largely, almost exclusively animation, at least internationally. So it was an interesting job, definitely wasn't one I wanted to be doing for a living. So I spent most of my time there plotting my next step and came up with a bunch of business plans and a bunch of ideas. And one of those was FastPay, which, which sort of carried me through to today. Okay. So... Can you tell us exactly what does FastPay do exactly? Sure. So what we do is what FastPay is, it's a liquidity and workflow platform for digital businesses globally. And what we do is uh, we provide 
liquidity and capital. We also provide workflow solutions like clearinghouse and other types of payment solutions to become sort of the utility, the financial utility for these digital businesses. We started with media as our first focal point because if you sort of look, if you, if you take a step back, media was only about 2% digital in 2001 and is mostly an analog business, right? TV, cable, radio. You know, fast forward to 2015, it's about 40, 45% digital and it's still underweighted. And if you, if in terms of media getting bought programmatically, which means even buying t- television in analog formats using sort of digital tools, it's going to be 100% digital. So it, it, within probably three or four years. So we started with, with media because it seemed like it, the need was great and the receivables were very high quality. So that was our initial focal point and it's proved to, it's proved out pretty well. Okay. So then, Let's just, I think it's probably best illustrated with an example. Can you, I know you, you gave one in your company demo at, at Lendit, but I think that, can you explain to the listeners, give an example of like a media company and the, the challenge they have being paid and how Fastpay kind of helps in this area? Absolutely. Well, so in the digital economy, which is, even though, you know, it's, probably about 10, 15 years in, it's still fairly nascent. These businesses, and by these businesses, we're talking about publishers, so content publishers, think of it as websites or applications, along with advertising technology businesses, media tech businesses, um, demand-side platforms, exchanges. These are sort of the the businesses which are helping to deliver these ads for advertisers, the the pipes that are sort of serving these ads to these publishers. These businesses are, have been particularly underserved by banks. They have fairly new business models, no hard assets. Traditional lenders have a hard time sort of wrapping their heads around new industries. So, you know, so we're vertically focused. So in terms of an example, you have, let's say you have a content publisher that is, say it's like a, you know, male health site where you're focused, you know, for MMA or any type of other, you know, audience that they're serving. These businesses create inventory by garnering audiences, and this inventory is, is monetized by selling it to advertisers. So there's different ways of, of monetizing it. You can monetize sort of programmatically using Google and Facebooks. However, sort of the holy grail where these guys really make most of their money is by selling to premium advertisers, selling directly to big brands or through big agencies. That's where you get the bigger dollars, the bigger ad dollars, the higher CPM to get sort of more bang for your buck. So that's where when, when these businesses grow and hit scale, increasingly they start selling directly to these advertisers. The challenge is the bigger brands, you know, you talk about the M&M Mars, the AB InBevs, um, the Procter & Gamble's, the prevailing payment terms are typically about net 120. So if you run media, if you have a campaign for AB InBev in January, you're actually not going to get paid until May or June, and that's just standard. So in the interim, you still have to pay for your overhead, pay for new writers, servers, technology. In terms of marketing your site, there's something called native advertising where you'll take some of your content and try to distribute it through Facebook and other places to try to garner even greater greater audiences. Those uh, media sources typically require payment up front or payment within, call it, 15 to 30 days. So there's really an inherent working capital shortfall or working capital problem that needs to be solved. 
And so what we've created is a point solution just for that, that sort of custom fits and it works really well in, in this type of dynamic. Okay, so you've got, you've got a content publisher. Let's say he's getting, you know, let's say a, a million page views a month and he, uh, he has, you know, like Nike or, or Budweiser or someone coming on board with serving ads. They are then, it's obviously generating great revenue for him, but he just has to wait. So he comes along to, to fast pay. And then what do you do? How do you onboard them? How do you say, well, Okay, this guy is this guy is legitimate. He has legitimate a legitimate business with legitimate advertisers. How do you kind of sure. um, go through that underwriting process? So, what you're talking about here is you know a true invoicing economy. You've got a buyer and a seller, right? The seller are our clients. They're the ones who are selling their inventory or their product here, mm-hmm. their service. And you have the buyers in this case, which are the advertisers. So in, the, in terms of our process flow, the way we evaluate risk and the way we think about sort of credit in our industry is there's, there's three primary criteria. There's the company who's borrowing, so that's this publisher in this instance. You have the individual who's the principal of the publisher, and you have the debtor, the payer, the, the buyer. So they've got kind of the, the buyer credit, the seller credit, and the individual and what we've done is, you know, throughout, through our history and expertise in the space, we've created a sort of predictive technology to speed up the underwriting and reducing risk. But we, we, it's all based upon those three sort of criteria and, and based upon, you know, different situations and different sizes and different level, you know, different sort of maturity and all the rest. You know, there's, there's the algorithm sort of weighs, weighs them differently. Okay, so then do you, like, obviously, if you've got, like, a Nike or a Procter & Gamble who is the ultimate buyer, it means it's a very low-risk transaction, right? Even if the guy, I mean, unless you obviously make sure fraud is not going to happen, but as long as this guy's got a legitimate business, you, do you, I mean, how how high, I guess the question is, how much do you weigh the buyer versus the seller? Right, and that's a good question, and and I think you posed the question in a sort of interesting way, which you said if it's Nike, I think you said um, there's there's really no risk, but the but you said except for fraud, and I would say well one of the if you look at the factoring industry traditionally historically, fraud has been sort of a 20x or so. I mean that's what's been sort of that that's what's been told, and that's what I hear from a lot of people, sort of a 20x greater risk factor than credit. Hmm. So yeah, Nike seems to be a solid credit. You can underwrite them. You know, probably not a lot of, of, of credit risk there. However, you've got fraud risk, you have delivery. So fraud risk, number one, is this invoice real? You have to validate it, which in some, with some buyers is easy to do. They have tools where you can do that or they have APIs or, or, or open. in other cases, you can't and you have to resort to sort of other, other methodologies. You have redirection risk. So one of the ways we mitigate risk is we actually collect. So we have a lockbox. If you sell us your Nike invoice, the money comes to us, not to you. So there's the collectability component. So making sure the money comes to us. And thirdly is, you know, so you're validating it. You're making sure it's collected. And the third component, obviously, is credit risk. And in this case, Nike, that's probably the least of, least of those three sort of concerns. Right. So it's always interesting to me. You've got a lockbox and you're a digital business in a digital age and you're still getting, you're still getting paid by check, right? Um, is that happens no. most, most of the time or what? Not exclusively check. Okay. Uh, it's a combination of check, ACH, and wires. I'd have to check, but it's, it's increasingly becoming digital. Well, that's good um, to know. 
Good to know. It's just, I think yeah. it's, it's humorous <laughs> how much checks are still actually used today. It's yeah, it's still, I, I read somewhere, it's, it, you know, as a couple of years ago, we started, it was still 70%. I think it's come down, probably closer to 50 now, but right. still. That's, yeah, still way too high. Pretty, Other countries, it's yeah, zero. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's well, another Europe. Europe is much is yeah, way ahead. Yeah, same with Australia. That's that's a, that's a topic for another time. <laughs> so let's just talk about the, the terms of the loan. So you've you've sort of approved the loan. It's legitimate. You're comfortable with it, and say it's you know it's a you know it's a hundred thousand dollar invoice. What yep. are you going to advance you know, to the seller? So advance rates vary, again, based upon those, those three factors you mentioned earlier, but you can assume somewhere between 70 and 85% is, is, is typical. The average is close to 80 or so. And in terms of duration, there's two ways of thinking about it. You've got the client relationship and you have the individual transaction length. These transactions have a lot of liquidity and velocity to them, right? Because you're talking about average days outstanding mm-hmm. of call it 60 to 90 days across the portfolio. Because yes, you've got the, the high quality AB embeds and M&M Marses and Mondelezes, which are net 120 or net 140, somewhere in that range. But you also have the Googles, which pay call it net 28 or so on average. So on, on, on balance, it weighs out to about 60 to 90 days. I think our average right now is about 68 days average DSO across the portfolio. So you've got the client relationship, which is more persistent. The client relationships last a few years and you have the individual transaction, which, which sort of cycle on a, about a 68 day rotation. Okay. So then, and what about the interest rate that the seller pays for the privilege of, of getting this money quickly? What, what kind of APRs are, are they looking at? I'm glad you characterize it as a privilege because it is a privilege. Um, <laughs> the AP, so in terms of the rates, we quote on a sort of face value. So these are, these are discounts to the face value of the invoice. But on an APR basis, when we started, it was high. It was sort of called 30 plus percent. Over time, it's come down. Our average is sort of in the call high teens, low 20s now. Mm-hmm. But as we've gotten bigger, we've you know, our purview has broadened and we've kind of come more up market. We've stayed, we've been able to serve sort of all so-called greater segments of the market. So we still have a lot of the sort of SMBs, but we're moving a little bit high up market in terms of the ability to serve a little bit larger publisher or larger client base. In those instances, the rates can come down to sort of mid to high single digit. So it's a range. If you're smaller, higher risk, lower outstanding balances, smaller invoices, the rate's a little bit higher, call it, you know, 20s. And if you're more established, a little more bankable, showing some profits, bigger invoice values, you're probably talking high single digits. Okay. So, and does a a seller typically give you all of their invoices or do they, do they, do you do it like, you do like one by one? Transaction. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Peter. So we, prefer and we're structured in terms of the way our process flow works to take on all of your invoices. You don't necessarily have to finance them all, although I think 95% of our clients do. The other type of strategy or product is called spot factoring. Mm-hmm. Spot factoring is not what we do. It's, it's a different sort of business model. We, we're more, you know, it, it, which kind of goes back to, this, to the beginning of the company, you know, this is much more 
we, we want to be a continuity product. We're looking to help you with sort of all of your capital needs, not just sort of a one-time problem you may have in March because something goes wrong. We want to be, we want to provide greater financial service, you know, more products to you. So we have a clearinghouse we've been developing. We just launched it. We haven't really announced it yet. There's some other products in the workflow side to sort of tie us more into these, to these clients and give them, you know, more tools and greater resources. But philosophically, you know, we want to become your liquidity solution. And so our product is really geared toward becoming a complete solution for, for all of your invoices, not just become becoming a spot solution unlike others in the market. Right, right. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, so let's just talk about loan volume. I know you've been around for a lot longer than most of the companies in, in the marketplace lending industry. So what, what year did you start and what's, how much in the way of loans have you done since, since inception? So going back, we, we started in 2010, but at the time, when I say we, I should say I, should say I because really back then it was just me. <laughs> right. And unlike others, we didn't go out and raise a lot of money. We didn't, you know, I, I kind of came at it from a different perspective, which was, you know, more of, I had a couple of, through, at DreamWorks, I became friends with, with a couple of sort of high net worth individuals, well-respected people here in LA, one's, you know, private equity, one's kind of private equity real estate, raised a small amount of money, about a half a million dollars, and wanted to sort of prove out the credit model first. Because with technology, I figured technology could come a little bit later. I wanted to sort of prove the concept and kind of that minimum viable product thing. And, you know, develop a few cohorts and see sort of, you know, if if we put this, it's it's very easy to put money out What the hard part is getting it back, right? So we wanted to make sure that the process worked and that there was demand and that, you know, the the pricing worked and all of that. So we didn't really raise a a formal sort of institutional round until last year, late last year, 2014. So I think this question started with loan volume. And so over time, you know, we grew organically, really. And so just, just recently have we, you know, taken sort of a formal, you know, $15 million growth venture round. But even so, we've gotten up, so to give you a sense, we're doing about $50 million a month in origination volume. And uh, a lot of that has really been organic growth from sort of bootstrapping. But now the use of proceeds really from this Oak investment primarily has been our technology We've got a team, about 15 engineers, and you know we've been developing more and more of these workflow products and, and iterating our platform. We're shipping another version in about a month, which is really the first version that I'm, that I'm in love with. Um, the other ones have been great, and our clients really like them, but this one, I think, is, 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 is really going to be the first one that I, I feel great about. But yeah, we're doing about $50 million. Okay. Um, we're going to cross... We should cross a billion dollars in origination volume within about in the next quarter. Wow! Oh, that's that's that is significant. So then, okay, so you're almost at a billion dollars. What about bad debts? How how have you been going where that's concerned? Bad debt's been about under ten basis points historically, and that's been pretty consistent. Wow! So yeah, ten basis points I think is is on the very low end of the spectrum right. for for sort of our our peers and in, in the industry. Right. But I think that speaks to a couple of things. I mean, I, I do think our, our sort of underwriting team has done a great job and uh, they've developed sort of the right algorithm. I think we've, we've kind of figured out how the risk curve rolls out in this, in this industry that we're in. I also think this 
vertical sector that we focused on initially has, you know, the whole premise was you've got a very strong set of buyers and a fairly dislocated set of sellers. And I think that premise has played out. You know, there hasn't been a lot of credit defaults, but obviously we've figured out the validation and redirection component. Mm -hmm. And lastly, I'd say this asset class, just due to its sort of velocity, you know, it's an asset class you can monitor very closely. It's got a lot of velocity to it. It's got a lot of liquidity to it. So, I mean, those, those sort of three things together, I think right. is why we've, we've managed to sort of perform, you know, at that level. Right. Okay. So let's talk about borrowers. I mean, you, you mentioned this thing, they're a dislocated bunch, the sellers, you've got everyone from like this guy in his garage with a website who's, who got some yeah. traction through to, you know, real uh, publishers, magazines, all sorts of different, you know, uh, publishers yeah, who are very well established. technology companies yeah, too. Too. So, you know, a fair amount of pretty decent, decent sized technology companies, you know, doing over hundreds of millions in revenue right, on right. a few of them. So, so how do you how do you find these people? How do you find borrowers who are interested in getting your financing options? So, in terms of sales, look, the hard part of credit businesses, in my opinion, and you know, having been in fintech for a bit, you, you tend to you know, we, you meet with a lot of people with a lot of ideas, and you see different business models. But I would say, the origination origination is typically the hard part, right? More so than capital, in my opinion. In terms of how we originate, in terms of targeting buyers or sellers, developed sort of a, a sales strategy over time. Most of our clients have come through referrals, about half. So we start off with sort of a small set of clients, and then they told their friends, and they tell their friends, and we've gotten a little press and all that, and that's been that's driven a lot of our growth. We have an outbound sales team, but we've been increasingly working through the buyer universe. In other words, you can target these sellers one at a time and it works, and then they tell each other, and you sort of develop that. But increasingly, we've been working through the buyers, because the buyer, you work with a seller, you sign up a seller, you get one seller. Yeah, it's one at a time. If you sign up a buyer who has 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 sellers, you can develop some sort of partnership, whether it's a supply chain solution or a marketing partnership or a referral partnership, mm-hmm. then you can target. So, so we've been doing, we announced a partnership with MediaOcean, which is a software company Think of them, you know, I tend to think of them as sort of the Bloomberg terminal for, for advertising agencies. They, I think they have something like 50 or 60,000 terminals out there. Most of the large agencies um, in the U.S., I think pretty much every one of them, like the WPs and Publicists and Omnicom and IPGs, sort of the big names, all use their software to do their procurement. So it's the, the work orders and the statements of work and the IOs and invoicing all happens through this sort of financial workflow system called MediaOcean. So they're our exclusive partner. And through them, we, uh, you know, we're now in discussions and you'll see some announcements with various clients of theirs to develop solutions to offer our product to their vendor bases. Okay. Okay, that's, that sounds So the answer to your question is we've been historically targeting sellers and we're going to keep doing that, but now we're increasingly working through the buyer channel to, to scale. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, I want to switch gears to the investor side of the equation. You know, you, I remember you've, you've, you've said, uh, you said in the panel at Lendit that uh, you believe the hybrid model, you've had, you have a balance sheet, you have a marketplace, that's a very strong, uh, strong way to run your business. So I guess, yeah. firstly, why do you think it's a strong way to run your business? And then who are investing with you guys today? Sure. Well, what we're trying to do is develop sort of a diversified strategy on the funding side, right? I don't think we want to be 
beholden to any particular strategy, overly beholden. So, you know, if, if you're working only with commercial banks, you have your own balance sheet. If there's some sort of downturn and that market dries up, you know, you're, you're sort of not, not in a great position. Right. If you're hundred percent marketplace and for whatever reason, the tides turn and that, those guys either, you know, let's say you're working with a lot of credit opportunity funds and all of a sudden there's a downturn and they can get higher yields elsewhere. I mean, that could dry up. So for us, having the diversified strategy just seems to make sense. If you have different types of capital from different asset classes, then, you know, presumably it makes you more resilient. Uh, but we'll see how this all plays out. So we've got, we have both an on-balance sheet and marketplace. On-balance sheet, we partner with Wells Fargo. There's some other banks coming into our syndicate soon. SF Capital, who's one of our equity investors and our partners, who've been unbelievable partners all throughout. And then on the marketplace side, we work with a, a variety, probably about a dozen marketplace investors. And, you know, they, there's different sort of forward funding agreements there. But yeah, we've, we've got, we have a pretty good mix now between the two. And we may even add a third sort of strategy in the next, next year or something we're, we're discussing internally. Okay. So then, are you open to new investors today? We are. I think it's a particularly, you know, as the world for investors who are concerned about sort of, you know, where this is all heading or where we are in the cycle. I think, you know, having an asset class that's got a lot of liquidity to it, where you're not making a three-year or you're not locking yourself into a five-year investment. You're talking about sort of shorter duration loans, very high credit quality. Potential, you know, I think that's attractive in terms of the overall mix. So we've seen, you know, we've been seeing a lot of stuff, the traffic from people who are interested, and we're definitely open to extending the marketplace as we grow. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so, can you share anything along? If you've got a, such a low a low loss rate and your APRs are, are reasonably high, I mean, I imagine you're returning solidly in the double digits as a net return to investors. Can you give some idea of of your expectations there? I think the expectation, look, we do have investors who are getting double digit returns and it's, it's been working well. The area where we've seen a lot of growth and a lot of demand has been in the higher credit quality areas. So think of them as bigger, bigger borrowers, higher credit quality, lower yields. So I would call it mid to high single digits, but you're talking about sort of a lot of AAA credits as the, in terms of debtor quality in there. So that's been an area of growth, and that's where that's where we're focusing. We've seen, you know, there's there's a fair amount of interest in double digits, double digit yields in the marketplace, but we're really looking for sort of the single digit guys, yeah, looking for higher, you know, higher liquidity, higher credit quality, because that that's where we stand in terms right. of you know the overall risk curve. Okay, yeah, sure. So before I let you go, I've got a couple more things I want to cover. Sure. You recently expanded to the UK. So can you, ex are you just duplicating what you've done in the US? Can you ex just tell the listeners yeah. what you're doing in the UK? Sure. Well, we've seen in the UK market and some of the other sort of Euro markets, very, you know, some real structural similarities on both the buyer and seller side in terms of dynamics. You've got a lot of the same ad agencies, in fact, almost identical. So that the, the debtors are largely the same. I mean, the, the global the global advertisers are pretty much, if you look at sort of the mix, you do have a few in the UK, there's like Racket Bangheiser, which is kind of like their Johnson & Johnson. You know, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, activity from them. But the reality is it's a lot of the same debtor credits, a lot of the same agencies. 
And on the, on the seller side, very similar market in terms of types of sellers and concentrations and, and, and business models and all the rest. So, you know, our, our platform is highly extensible, what we've built. And so what we did last year is we got, you know, we, we got all the licenses and, and the capital lined up to, to go into that market. We've started testing that market. We've had some, some you know, early success stories there. So what we're really looking to do is sort of expand more of a sales and, and operations office than sort of much more than that. But we started trading there. It's going well. Just hired a few people. So by the end of the year, we'll have that office staffed. But, you know, there, there should be other markets as well added to the mix next year, additionally. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's my last question then. Are you, what, are you looking to be really, like you talk about digital businesses, but then you really said you're, the vertical you're focused on is, is media, digital media businesses. Are you really going, is your plan to be the digital media business and expand that ge- uh, like into other geographies or are you going to expand across different verticals? What's, what, what is the, you know, what's in your crystal ball of the, or your, your planning? Well, look, we obviously spend a lot of time in the market. We look at a lot of you know, opportunities and, and as we've, as we've scaled a bit, we've gotten more inbound opportunities. So we have to sort of evaluate and, and put them through sort of our, our competency sort of checklist and see sort of where, where it makes sense. What, what we know is that the core market we've been focusing on initially, which is really media and advertising, you know, digital media and advertising global, you know, it's growing really quickly. It's got about a 20, it's been growing about 22% per annum since we started this. And, uh, it's truly international. I mean, you've seen, you're seeing a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of these, a lot of like some really interesting tech companies that are selling to these same global advertisers are based all over the world. And, you know, for us, it makes a lot of sense to sort of capture this market. We understand it really well. I mean, credit, it takes, it takes a long time to sort of understand markets and credit and dynamics and prevailing terms and conditions and, and payment patterns and all that, which I think We've done a really good job focusing on this vertical, which, which is one of the reasons why our loss rate's so low. So it makes a lot of sense to extend that into other markets. In terms of horizontal, you know, other verticals, there are some sort of very close tangents that we've been selling products into and testing. Mm-hmm. There's some other sort of digital verticals that could make sense downstream. But for now, I, mean, I think we, we found a sweet spot. There's, there's an awful lot of headroom. We want to exploit that and really you know, maximize it and, and keep building products to serve these clients. Right, right. Okay, well, on that note, I'll let you go. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Jed. Thank you for inviting us. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks, Peter. Okay, see ya. Bye. You know, there are certainly options for new marketplace lenders entering the space today, but I think targeting on a specific niche certainly gives an advantage to the platform because they're able to understand it and develop tools and marketing approaches specific to that niche. And particularly with invoice finance, I think different niches have very different needs. And what Jed has been able to do with FastPay, particularly given their extraordinarily low default rates, I think what he's been able to do and build up to a really decent sized business in, you know, in a relatively short period of time, I think demonstrates the power of that approach where you basically learn all there is to know about one niche and provide a service just for that. Now, it's not going to work for everybody, but it's certainly working well for fast pay, and I wish them all the best. 
On that note, I'll sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.